Welcome to Box Out Banter. We got another uh, amazing week, COVID-filled week. Uh, how'd you feel watching your Sixers play with seven people, uh, Mr. Christopher? Uh, it just, once again, it just, it's fueling the fact that Sixer fans and NBA Commissioner Adam Silver don't have the greatest relationship, very justifiably so, <laughs> given what has happened in the last decade. But it just he just added on to it by making the 76ers play seven players. People were making seven Sixer jokes, which were pretty funny. But it wasn't I can't imagine it was it was kind of ridiculous if I don't mean to start off on a sour note already, but it was ridiculous what making the Sixers play with seven players they had to have eight so they activated mike scott who was not gonna play because he wasn't ready coming back from his injury and the the other funny thing was the nuggets allowed this to be to be a game for a half <laughs> they <almost> lost <laughs> they like it was a, i didn't think they were gonna keep it up but like the nuggets uh, the other uh, basketball takeaway i had from this was that the nuggets def- defense just dinks but it unfortunately the realities of covid have come right and we've been expecting this this was like the big x factor right so now we have two games uh, postponed it's the celtics and the heat and then the pelicans and mavericks game got canceled or postponed tonight but i'm just wondering why they made the sixers play if they haven't released the second half of the schedule for this very reason because they expect they expected postponements um you had Seth Curry test positive on what was it, on uh, Thursday before the Brooklyn game or during the Brooklyn game, but they they played the Wizards the night before, and then the Wizards played the Celtics, and now <laughs> the Celtics have a bunch of players out also, and it's just it's already wild. And um, look, it's easy to it's easy for us because everybody in the media and all that stuff is now playing into the well we shouldn't have a season and the moral the moral high ground and stuff and yes i agree with a lot of what they say but i mean we also have to remember like the we have to remember the big reason why these games are still going right like there's a there has to be a they're not a balanced discourse but like there has to be the understanding that the players also agree to this unfortunately right and i'll i mean and we do get into a moral high ground and more and kind of a moral stance on this, but my it's like thing a race is too, is, to do it. Right. I mean, my thing kind of goes to, to, I don't think people that say we shouldn't play the season don't understand sort of like what, how important sports are to America and like to people just kind of around the world and what's going on. Like for me, I know personally, the couple months without sports and without anything going on where everything was shut down was really hard to like fill our day and do and kind of get excited about anything. And it was, it felt really monotonous to Mm. to go through every day. And so having just something to watch and look forward to is huge. Um, Just for like the more, just like the morale of the country and the morale of the world. Yeah. There's definitely a morale aspect to it. And and I think that's super important to keep in mind. And again, it's not like the NBA is being reckless. I wouldn't say they're like the NFL or like what the MLB was doing earlier in the year where they were just kind of like going off and doing what they're doing. I think the NBA's done probably the best job of any of the major leagues doing. I think with the bubble, I think, and, yeah. I, think, I, think I think it's almost it seems like it's a 
like, and I didn't mean to cut you off there, but it seems no like with uh, the NFL, at least there was like, they, they didn't, it seemed like they didn't have a plan, right? They went into the season. They were like, we're just going to keep <laughs> going. We're just going to keep going. COVID tests be damned. We're going to have games on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. And then there were COVID outbreaks in baseball. It seemed like one, there really is no surefire plan to play in a pandemic, but the bubble experiment that was only going to work for the playoffs, which I know you mentioned before, Arab, that's maybe something they could do, but it just sucks that it's it not that it's came to this, but it was like, okay, we're just going to play the season and we know we're going to have outbreaks and stuff. And it's kind of wild given that we know the long-term effects and stuff like that. And look, if you're a 25 year old athlete in peak physical condition, that's the best that is the best case scenario for you to, you know, COVID, I guess, yeah. to like you, play a, among a pandemic. And, you know, if you get COVID, you'd rel- relatively would rather be a 25 year old in their prime. Right. But there are still there are still young people who still get affected by this and infected by this and have bad effects and long term effects. It's right. just really it's really it like it makes me uncomfortable sometimes. But like I would. I mean, I wouldn't, I've never really mind if the season would shut down just to, you know, until we get this under control, but I get it. Like if the players don't play the season, they're going to get screwed from the CBA side of things. We knew the implications if they didn't have a seat, if they didn't start the season in in December, as opposed to this month. And I guess this is, this is just, we're just going to have to roll with the punches, I guess. Yeah. And again, like you mentioned, the, it's not like the players are being forced to do this. They did agree. The players union did agree. And all, most of the players did all, kind of overwhelmingly agree that they wanted to play the season. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I think. I think, again, the NBA with the bubble, it taught them a lot about how to maintain and control and, and limit as much as possible. And I think they're doing a great job. It was just uh, hard to do for the with most part. An open right. season it's just like hard. this. Yeah, it's just hard. With travel uh, and all that stuff, contact tracing's putting players out too. And they didn't yeah. even, some of those players probably <clears throat> didn't even know they were in contact with somebody who yeah. so and again, I think a lot of it I don't think and from what we're seeing too, the actual diagnosis and kind of uh the outbreak of COVID isn't actually that large. A lot of the stuff with players sitting out and having to sit out is the NBA being cautious and being careful and mm-hmm. contact tracing. And so, yeah, I think that's smart. I think we're in the NFL, you had a lot of players and in baseball in particular, you had a lot of players testing positive and spreading it and full yeah. on outbreaks within locker rooms. The NBA really has done a good job of limiting that where you get one player testing positive and the rest are just being held out for contact tracing and for safety reasons yeah which you know again if you're gonna do something like that it's probably for the best that you know you'd be safe and be careful i still think they could do be more judicious with you or not judicious but you know if you're i mean part of the reason why i think the sixers and nuggets still played was because it was a national tv game but the thing is it's like well, if you kept the back half of the schedule open just so you could prepare for stuff like this, why would you put a marquee game like that? Why would you let a marquee game like that still go? I mean, shouldn't there be more? Who doesn't want to see? Who doesn't want to see Danny Green run point guard for you? For oh, that was stretches of time. That was a 
that was a pleasure. And then, you know, Tyrese Maxey versus Jamal Murray, Kentucky on <laughs> Kentucky crime, you know. Um, Maxey, by the way, that was a that was a silver lining. Yes, Maxey probably got Tyrese Maxey probably got way more shots and way more minutes than he was ever expecting this early in the season. But I'm so, he he held up pretty well. Like it, it wasn't like he would yeah, he had to hunt shots cuz he had to, but you know, he was taking shots within the flow of the game. The guy, I'm just amazed that there's a guy on the Sixers who can dribble and get to the rim. <laughs> like that's still tripping me out, but I think Maxie's going to be a Mark good Fultz. one. Markel Fultz could dribble and get to the rim. Yeah, when he played, when he wasn't uh, <laughs> when he wasn't, you know, rehabbing his shoulder injury or shooting the ball like a bowling ball. But can we talk about Markel Fultz? I feel so bad uh, for Markel Fultz. I feel bad for Markel Fultz. Yeah, he uh for those who didn't know last uh last week he tore his uh ACL and right it just we did the podcast too. Like almost yeah, right afterwards. Yeah, yeah. And um it just uh it sucks because I loved Markel Fultz as a prospect in a college. And to see him just go through this, um, he's a resilient kid because he was able to, you know, rehab himself a little bit. Maybe he got he got a nice contract. Um, we could debate about whether he whether, you know, it was good from the Magic's perspective, but he got a contract. He was seeming to figure some more stuff out this year as a two-way guard. And you know, I'm a big fan of. I was a big fan of Markel Fultz, uh, especially at Washington. The you, we all know what happened with the jump shot, and it, it's just yeah, it's good. It was good to see him start making a comeback, and then just to be set back like this. It kind of sucks. Yeah, it, it it feels so bad. And again, like like you're kind of alluding to, this is probably the best he's looked in his entire career. Yeah, definitely, uh, absolutely. And, and so you know. It, it it is a feel bad big guard good rebounder excellent passer by the way and you know yeah like his shot relatively has looked better his form has looked better since it got destroyed in his rookie year but um i'm wishing all the best for markel Fultz because he is absolutely a talented guard and um he definitely what obviously he belongs in the league that goes without saying but i'm Desperate, I'm always rooting for the kid to re- reach his potential because he th- kind of thinks the game in a different way too. Just by if you watched him in college with the spin moves and the footwork he had, it was herky jerky and a little unorthodox. And only players with a unique mind can move like that or spin the opposite way, like yeah. instinctually the way he does and stuff. Like a like yeah in a yeah in a sense like that the body from a body control standpoint yeah definitely like a d rose because d rose would hang in the air and do some crazy up and unders and he'll lay it up on the other side of the rim and you're like how the hell did he get that through and that's (laughs) definitely what i saw with fultz and washington at at a u-dub so all the best to markel man um but it's it's it that's it's a part of it unfortunately injuries suck that's just all i have yeah. more to add to that no it, it just, it's just a big feels bad and it's some, he's someone that i keep coming back to of like man that it's so unfortunate to see that happen to someone yeah. um so you, you want to talk about the uh <laughs> i wanted to uh talk about the five and five uh new york knicks right quick yeah if, so, you, if you don't mind because <laughs> i've been we I, okay, not maybe not you. I bullied the Knicks quite a bit. Uh, yeah, you've definitely thrown in more power forward jokes than I have <laughs> on this podcast. <laughs> they were looking to sign someone the other day, and I was like, "Really, 
Are Josh they really? Griffin. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he's a Tibbs guy, man. You like he. Uh, Taj Gibson, Tibbs Tibbs guy. guy from Chicago to Minnesota, and you I mean, know, to be going fair, back to the well. To be fair, I thought the year this is a deep cut. The year that uh, USC was in the tournament with OJ Mayo and Taj Gibson, Ooh. they did they did have a chance to make some noise and and possibly win that championship. I thought mm-hmm. they play. I forget if they played Texas. I know they beat Texas A&M with Michael Beasley, or was it Michael? Be- yeah, wherever yeah, team Michael Beasley was. Yeah, they beat they Kansas beat them. State. Kansas State. There you go. So they beat them. I knew it was purple. They they beat them. <laughs> yeah, those. Yeah, <laughs> I just knew it was purple. Uh, I was gonna say I was gonna say Washington, but then I was like, no, it's not Washington. But yeah, okay. TCU. TCU? No. Yeah, Kansas <laughs> Kansas State. So then they beat them. They beat Durant in Texas, I think. And no, then- that was a year. That was a year later. Uh, OJ Mayo was a year later. Durant was 07. Mayo was 08. No, that was the same year, I think. What? No, um, let me look it up. I'm pretty sure it, they were different years. OJ Mayo draft. This is great podcasting. Because uh, I'm pretty sure it was the yeah, same. Two, he was a third pick in the OJ Mayo was a third pick. The in D the, Rose uh, draft, right? Yeah, the D Rose draft. Durant was 07. Okay. So maybe not. But the. I remember they beat they beat Texas, they beat all, a whole bunch of teams, and I was like, man, they're gonna get somewhere. And they they had them down to the wire. I forget what team it was. It might have been, man, I don't remember what team it was. But whatever team it was, they had them down to the wire, and it came down to Taj Gibson being that defensive guy that he is in the NBA. Like he is so <laughs> <laughs> he is he is such a smart and like instinctively good defender. Yeah. Um. He's definitely just, up there in age and a step in a step slower, but yeah, the New York Knicks look. They tibsified. The Knicks were tibsified, right? If they're as much as I like to think, I think Tom Thibodeau has been overrated as the years have gone along. But I can't deny that he is a good coach, and when you hire him, you do have instant success. And look, for the Knicks, it's for a bad team like the Knicks who have been perpetually bad. It's about when you make a change like this and a change in philosophy is about the low hanging fruit, right? Like that's what Stan Van Gundy's hoping to do in new Orleans. Just all the low hanging fruit stuff that, that the Pelicans were bad at last year. And that's a little Zach Lowe ism, the low hanging fruit stuff. Um, Like, you know, better rebounding, play harder effort, though the basic things, and then worry about the statistical low hanging fruit you were bad at. That's what the Knicks have kind of done. They're fifth in defensive rating right now. Their offense is their offense is putrid. It's like 29th in offensive rating per um cleaning the glass. But look, it Tibbs has NBA players in his rotation. He's gonna get them to play hard. And that's that's an that's one of those things that help, has helped boost the Knicks this year. They're five and five. Julius Randle is having a career an year. It, if he keeps this up, he's going to make an All NBA team, and I'm dead serious when I say that. Because yeah, he's, average, so the, he's averaging the, 23, 11, almost 12 rebounds a game and seven assists, and it, it comes in at a cool 59.6 percent true shooting percentage and it's not just randall alfred payton is finally waking up 
and playing defense and attacking the rim. RJ Barrett is relentlessly attacking the rim still, even though he still has no spacing <laughs> around him. He's kind of taken a jump scoring wise. And Emmanuel Quickly, who was a uh, Tyrese Maxey's uh, backcourt mate in Kentucky this past season, is been a hit with the 26th pick uh, this past summer. And he's he's uh, quickly he's a point guard the Knicks haven't had in a minute. He's somebody who can ball handle, has quicks, uh, no pun intended, or maybe pun intended, uh, sure. Um, and he could uh, also shoot off the dribble. He's an elite shooter. And that is automatically not automatically an NBA player because quickly still a rookie, but that is a skill set that is teams covet that, especially because yeah, quickly well. is also a really solid playmaker. Like he's a point, he's a legit point guard. So he's a great stopgap for them to wait for Frank Nealakila. Uh, uh <laughs> if, if Frank, <laughs> I don't know. I think I sold the last of my Frank Nilakina stock like last year, <laughs> but yeah. Hey, if he gets something that he, Frank Nilakina, he is known for his defense and Thibodeau's he's got still, everybody. He's still a solid defender. Well, the thing um, is you watch some of these games and Thibodeau still got these guys playing defense. I was watching Nick's jazz over the weekend and uh, Kevin Knox was in a stance, getting deflections, knocking down a few threes in the few minutes he got. I was like, okay, like, I haven't seen that from Kevin Knox in the two years he's been in the league so far. Yeah, so the, um, thing, the thing that I will say, going back to Tibbs and going back to Julius Randle, so as a Laker fan, the, the problem that Julius Randle has always had is he plays too fast. He tries to power drive his way through everything, and he just plays at a speed in which... He plays at a speed that he thinks the NBA is moving at, right? He still plays like a mm. rookie in that way, where, you know, when you're a rookie, you, you play really, really fast because you just think you need to. Yeah. Uh, and so he still has that kind of play style. And so when you watch him play with the system they have now, offensively and with Tibbs, he's slowing down for the first time. Uh, and it's, and he's using his his quickness and his versatility in short bursts rather than going full speed all the time. Uh and yep. he still keeps that aggression and that energy, and it's it's translating really, really well. Uh, he he's forty. He's in ninety seventh percentile in and ch- shots at the rim, and field goal percentage at the rim. Like he's he's doing thirty seven percent from three too. Yeah, right. he's playing he's playing extremely well to his strengths. Um, I still I still think physically and skill wise, he's still a gifted player. I think he's finally finally figuring out what he is in the NBA. Uh, oh yeah, and I, th- and I think Tibbs has really kind of unlocked that for him in kind of a weird way because you would think that Tibbs's offense and his kind of him as an offensive coach is kind of uh, outdated. Uh, that's kind of like been a knock on him for a while, and so I think it actually works with a team or with a player like Julius Randle that needed to slow down. Yeah, and uh, I've been I've been a Julius Randle fan. Um, I think there is always there is always like a there is always like a playmaking big that is a really good defender in there somewhere like and i remember when when luke walton was the coach and you know he made the kids like 15th in like defensive rating or whatever and everyone's like oh that's impressive you got a bunch of young kids to play defense like julius randall was like he's like he was also looked at along with you know zoe and ingram obviously he was looked at as a guy that was like okay this guy's big bodied he's played a few years in the league now like he could switch multiple positions and he showed flashes of that then he goes to the nick well he goes to the pelicans and then he goes to the knicks and he's kind of lost for a bit he's become a meme now because he's known for his same damn spin move i mean basketball (laughs) reference 
basketball reference actually the the only nickname they listed for randall is beyblade (laughs) 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 which is which is pretty great but it seems like and i austin river said something about tibbs he said the only way players get minutes under tibbs is if they play hard like there's no negotiations about that he doesn't care about missed shots or anything like that and a lot of coaches say you know they let their players play play free freely and stuff like that and it seems like tibbs has actually let them play freely like randall has the ball in his hands and i don't know how long the efficiency will be sustainable given randall's track record but if he's getting shots at the rim if his shot his shot diet's different so i kind of have a feeling it's going to be sustainable for a long time and if he's putting up these numbers the knicks are the knicks might be a 500 team like i'm looking like i know it's still early but i remember what happens when toppin comes back yeah because now you're looking at it and the knicks have they have a solid not, I wouldn't say a solid rotation of NBA players because that makes it sound like I say the Knicks have a bunch of good players, but they have young, talented players like Toppin. You got Quickly. You got RJ Barrett. Um, Tibbs is bringing the best out of Alfred Payton. Reggie Bullock has become has sort of revitalized a little bit as a floor spacer in that starting unit, and then Mitchell Robinson, who I am always endlessly fascinated by because the guy is an outlier shot blocker, an outlier athletic freak at the center position, and also he fouls the hell out of everybody. Um, if that is somebody, Tibbs is probably just you know, sweating, having meat sweats over because he just wants to mold Robinson into the type of player he sees as he sees. And it's kind of working a little bit. I'm uh, My point is, I think our, like, people who we know that are Knicks fans, especially our buddy Garrett, they should definitely be n- invested in this squad because they are they are fun. They play defense. They're they're. I'm actually watching Knicks games, is what I'm saying, dude. Like I'm actually actively seeking out watching Knicks games because I'm like, oh, they beat the Bucks by thirty. Well, let me rewatch this game. What the hell happened? Oh my God, Julius Randle had twenty eight, sixteen, and eight or whatever. Like Barrett is having twenty five foot. The Knicks are the Knicks are cool right now. It's it's cool to see. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to uh to have them kind of be good or at least be competitive if you look uh, at the snapshot of the standings right now snapshot it's so weird <laughs> standings in the east it's really weird like i don't know what you think about it but like we have a bunch of teams that are well in the east we have a bunch of teams that are five and five six and four but then the contenders like the heat and the nets are in the nine ten spot um the nets have been going through covid stuff Kyrie for personal reasons um, I have a feeling we're going to find out what those personal reasons are soon. Um, he's missed like three straight games. Yeah. In a so row. do you do you buy that he just doesn't want to play? I don't buy that. I don't. I don't see. I'm seems not like willing, a very, it Seems like a very Kyrie thing, though. It. 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 It seems like a Kyrie thing, but like usually when he's not played for personal reasons, there's always been a reason. So like when right. he didn't play for personal reasons before, like you know we find out his grandfather died yeah right and stuff like that like i always get iffy with Kyrie because yes with the flat earth stuff and stuff like that there are comments where he just brings it on himself but like also like that's like 10 percent of it to me like i see a dude who is you know obviously he's thoughtful i do think he's intelligent although he 
says I think some, it's a mis. I think it's. it's I think he. I think it, he has misguided intelligence. He, yeah, we could sure we could say that. And then, um, um, but unfortunately, it's to the point now where he's brought it on himself, and so anything that he does now, it's going to be under the spotlight. And when I saw personal reasons, I was like, okay, there's my act. There's probably something that's going to come out, and we're going to be like, because it feels like over and over again, especially in this last year. There's some Kyrie news. We react to it, and then it turns out it's not as big of a deal, or it's actually the complete opposite of what we thought, and we're just like, oh, okay, well. Never mind. And then either way, Kyrie's reputation still takes a hit, like with the whole, you know, Woj disruptor piece over the summer when Kyrie was just doing his role as a VP of basketball ops. I I always get sense. I guess I I guess I am empathetic when I talk about Kyrie uh, because I do think he's a good kid he, and he does bring stuff on himself. But like, I don't think he would miss a game or whatever. I mean, um, I. I, I could see it with everything going on in the world, especially here in the U.S. I can see I he think, had legitimate personal reasons, and maybe there right, might be like, some where thresholds where some people might not consider it personal enough to miss a game, but for him, right. he might. You know, right. like, I respect that, and I think like that's a little bit of a you can agree agree or disagree that you know that his him not wanting or feeling like playing a game is valid is a valid reason to miss, but like. I don't know if that is the true reason or if he's just saying that, right? Yeah, I don't I don't know either. Um, but I hope whatever he's whatever he's going through, I hope it's uh, I hope he he uh, you know, he comes out at the better end of it. Right. Um I will say like <clears throat> I remember I saw a tweet. I don't know if you follow Dragonfly Jones on Twitter. He's one of the funniest twitter accounts to follow just fyi but he had a tweet a few years ago where he was saying um it wouldn't surprise him if like Kyrie's like 30 and he just decided one day to just walk away because he is a different type of dude like yeah. that is the one thing i will like he is a different type of dude he moves and thinks differently and it wouldn't surprise me if i did see that a few years from now but i think he does he loves the game if we know anything about Kyrie, he's like a student of the game like that's probably him and Kevin Durant were obviously psyched to team up that probably just for the countless hoops conversations on the bus and stuff like that. Right. Um, and I don't think Kyrie would just miss miss games because he didn't feel like playing. I I don't think he I don't think that's uh, he he has more respect for the game than that, I guess, for lack of a better phrase, if I can't find one. But yeah. So looking at these standings, getting getting more back into a basketball discussion. Looking at these standings, I think we have the same team here. But what team at this early stage of the season? We are officially like one seventh ish of the season of the regular season done. What team are you the most concerned about? Are you talking about both conferences? Or are we still in yeah, the East? Or... Both conferences. Okay. Um, I think we have the same team, but I am extremely concerned about the Denver Nuggets. Yeah. um their defense is a disgrace and it's it's gotten better over the last uh few games or so they're 22nd in defensive rating per cleaning the glass but i imagine they're going to be fluctuating between 22nd and 30th for pretty much the whole season um they lost jeremy grant who is balling in detroit by the way like talk about bet on yourself like Jeremy Grant has yeah, been absolutely. awesome so far in Detroit. They lost Tory Craig. 
Um, Paul Millsap is a step slower. Jokic, although he is an intelligent defender, if you get him out in space, we all know the story there. Michael Porter Jr., just he gets lost, and then also he still gets pushed around. Um, their defense is horrid, and the only reason the Nuggets are 500 right now is because they have the third best offensive rating per cleaning the glass at 117.1, and that's because Nikola Jokic is a goddamn alien. And if it wasn't for Nikola Jokic, the Nuggets wouldn't even be sniffing 500 right now. And one of those wins I have to mention came against the uh, seven the seven Sixers. So um, yeah, and the I reason mean, we brought that up. Some of their losses too were the the opening night, uh, well not the opening. Well, yeah, the opening night like their, Kings, their home opener against Kings, the Kings and stuff yeah. like that. Stuff like um, that. Like I, I'm not super concerned. When I say concerned, obviously I think they're still making the playoffs and this will be fine. But yeah, the defense is the most concerning. Yeah, thing that's maybe. the thing. Like, um, yeah, they so they that's what I bring up that seven Sixers game is they made it a the Sixers made it a game in the first half I thought that game should have been over by the first quarter uh, especially because we were starting three rookies two of which were on a two-way and <laughs> um we were playing Danny Green at point guard yet it was still a game but because the Nuggets defense was a layup line Tyrese Maxey got to the rim with impunity um yeah, they Danny, no rim protection they no rim protection um they and they also have no wing defenders their best defender out on the perimeter is Gary Harris but Gary Harris forgot how to shoot a basketball so he's a huge negative on the offensive end I have my we were talking about last week um or no I did a Sly Hooper pod last week where I was talking about uh, early trends that I think are going to last through the season. I did not mention the Nuggets defense, although I should have, but that's going to be, I don't see how they fix it throughout the year. I mean, I'm sure Malone will, you know, scheme some stuff up. They'll try to hide Porter, give him some better Porter Jr. on some matchups, give him better ones. Um, maybe they uh, play a more conservative scheme, but I just don't see how the Nuggets fix their defense. And I think they'll, they're well on their way to being a at max second round exit. And that's the best case scenario, I think. Yeah. I mean, I also think that there's a, a argument to be made that, you know, that you could maybe say that they should pick up the top, like Taj Gibson, Taj Gibson to be something that they're looking at. Uh, I think Jordan Bell is still a free agent as well. Like just, just kind of bigs that can defend the rim and rebound would yeah. help them a lot. It would just one or two to just kind of get them in the rotation. Yep. Uh, Corey Brewer is another guy that I was looking at and saying, like, why is he still a free agent? Um, you know, these are these are guys that. You know, they're not barn burners, but at least they'll help. The they're they're solid bit. guys that can help. Right. Yeah. Uh, Damari Carroll is another one that you kind of look at. Tyson Chandler. Wilson. Oh, Chandler. If, you, if you were watching the uh, Sixers Nets game on Thursday, Damari Carroll was in the game, according to Chris Weber and Mark oh. Albert. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, look, I'm sorry. I don't want to I, I don't want to bury a legend or, you know, bury a very awesome basketball player. But it's Marv. It's time to hang it up, dude. It was five, <laughs> five years ago was time to hang it up. But it's and it, it's definitely home broadcasting the in the era of covid like broadcasters are usually doing this from home now but 
And so there's some of that where it has put more of a spotlight on Marv's flaws, right? But it has gotten bad now. He called Chris Chioza Landry Shamit three times in one possession. It was like Shamit with the steal, Shamit with the drive, Shamit with the layup. And it was Chris Chioza the entire time. Yeah. And Shamit is on the other side of the court. And then it rubbed off on Chris Weber and he called Torian Prince to Mari Carroll like three (laughs) times in a replay. (laughs) And I'm like, to be to be completely fair, Damari Carroll, uh, Damari Damari Carroll, Tarian Prince, and Jay Crowder all look like the same dude. I mean, I get black dude with dread, so I guess I can understand like, they why the same, they have the same playing style, the same role. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're I mean, all the same dude. <laughs> Yeah, so I guess to a old bas- like to an older basketball broadcaster, at that point, if you're just going off fumes and instincts, Marv is probably just seeing that same type of player on the court. <laughs> it's like, oh, Carol or whatever. But no, that was Chris Weber. There's no excuse for Chris Weber. No, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, the, Chris Weber. Come on. The thing with Chris, and the thing that's funny, I know Chris Weber takes a lot of shit, and deservedly so. But the thing is. It's so weird. When I watch Chris Weber, he still has like really good insights and nuggets where you're like, damn, Chris Weber, I didn't think about that. He does. You know what? He, you he are, does. you got me here. And then, and then all of a sudden he says something, you're like, oh, Chris. <laughs> and it oh, comes Chris. off in a very, it comes off in a very Kevin Durant real Hooper way. You remember when yeah. Kevin Durant had that real Hooper type thing? And I, I, I typically just don't vibe with those kind of people like chris very much talks in a if you know basketball then you do to do to do to do and i'm just like okay mute (laughs) like mute (laughs) but no um yeah it's time to get uh i love when kevin harlan's on i love when brian anderson's on like they i and eagle like Mm -hmm. play I love pl- I do love play by play because I know a lot of people now just want to listen to their iPods because they think inside the NBA is a detriment to sports conversation and stuff like that, even though I don't take that too seriously. But like I still love inside the NBA. Oh, me too, dude. It's it's my it's it's been with me since. Yeah, like, we grew up with that. We grew so, up <laughs> with that. Like, I don't even know how long Inside the NBA has been with us. There's so many great moments, like Chuck literally kissing Kenny's ass, like his donkey. Yeah. <laughs> or do you, um, see, do you see the the clip from this weekend where he uh he's drinking the coffee? He's trying the coffee. Oh no, I didn't. I'm so I missed. The, <laughs> I I uh when the Sixers game was over, I had to uh kind of get back to work a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> he, uh, he they they had like a local coffee shop bring. Co- like healthy coffee for chuck to try and so it's like organic black coffee <laughs> oh my watching him try this stuff was hilarious oh my god i have to watch that i have to watch that clip uh one of my other favorite moments i remember i laughed so hard at this this was in high school um this was when t-mobile was sponsoring the nba playoffs and so they had chuck you i'm sure you've seen this they had chuck read the teleprompter he's like hey this is charles barkley like i hope you're enjoying the t-mobile's fave five list i also hope you're enjoying the nba playoffs i'm a dumbass (laughs) (laughs) and he stops for a second he's like oh my god i just (laughs) you seen the have you seen the clip of him falling asleep at the desk yep 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 it's the best Inside the NBA, like, I get it. We all want smarter sports coverage and all that stuff. But the thing we always forget is, like, TV is really a really hard platform to, like, have 
a conversation like me and you do where we're talking about the minutiae of the game and stuff like that. It, it can't be done in a five minute TV segment. And yeah, do I get annoyed when the Sixers come on and Shaq and Charles are just beefing with every fucking big man possible? Yes, it does get annoying. There are, there is definitely stuff that is annoying. Well, they, they still do segments where there's a lot of insight and there's a lot of, yeah, there's like, a lot of I think Kenny the Jet Smith he's he will definitely provide insight. Um, but like the have you seen this was years ago now when they did the postman camp kind of thing for mm-hmm. Dwight where they're talking about how to post up and yeah. why they don't like how Dwight posts up and yeah it's they're hundred percent right and it's something that like yeah this is information that if you're not if you're just a casual basketball fan this is really important for you to understand what they're saying and like why why they talk the way they do and that's the other um, thing too it's made for a casual audience like yeah definitely like, and the thing also inside the is, nba is inside the nba is not made for you and me we enjoy it because we're yeah. we're still basketball fans but like we know i'm not gonna say we know as much as they do but like a lot of the stuff they're saying like yeah we understand we know what they're yeah talking we understand about. yeah and See, this is why I this is why I was happy when you asked me to do a podcast because, like, uh, do a podcast. Uh, you wanted me to do a podcast with you is because, like, yes, we appreciate the minutia and like the breaking down of the X's and O's and stuff like that. But I personally, I like all the other parts of basketball that come with it. And look, there is definitely going to be some bad with it. But like, I like shows like inside the nba i like doing barbershop talk and stuff like that even though there is a limit to how much i could take if i hear a, a bad take or something like we all do when we talk about stuff yeah but like of course. i'm trying like there just seems to be as we've as the conversation of basketball has gotten leaned way too like the pendulum swung way too far to analytical and stuff like that there was like a effort to like push down shows like inside the nba and stuff like that uh, because they don't like what they say or they don't think they provide insight. No, it's not the it's not top notch Zach Lowe whatever insight or whatever. But these dudes are legends, which is awesome. It's always cool to see legends, and it's cool to see legends chop it up in a barbershop way. I love it when Shaq and Chuck rib on each other, even though Shaq needs to come up with a better better jokes than four rings. He uh, needs. That's the only thing he needs. I guess that is the only joke he needs, but I would like to see more variety. <laughs> like, but th- those shows are awesome. So yeah, leave, leave my inside the NBA alone. <laughs> and the thing is, that's great. And I think pe- the thing that was so obviously the Kobe stuff was hard to deal with. And I think it was especially hard to deal with for NBA fans because the NBA really is the, the game and the sport and the league where legends are still around. And legends are still active and involved in the game. NBA, the NBA does the best job of any of the major sports leagues of getting their legends yeah, involved, of keeping their stars involved in the game post career, right? That's, and so, yeah. and so, you know, Shaq's still around, D Wade's still around, even Michael's still in the in the league, Bird and Magic, and all like you know, even Bill Russell's there every finals, handing out that trophy. Like every, yep. all of the legends of the game are still around, and so losing Kobe in that way is such a it's such a weird jarring thing for nba fans because now it's he's kind of the first legend where you go oh he's not here anymore yeah that's we're almost coming up on a year on that and it honestly i still haven't had time to process it um, yeah I, but i still it, remember like, that morning oh but, yeah, yeah we'll, we'll get into we'll get into that when when the anniversary comes but the you know 
we'll, yeah, we'll probably do a whole episode on that. But but it's like, yeah, like it, it the league treats its legends like no other sports organization. And to lose a figure like that is obviously is devastating. But yeah, it, and, but that also, in a way, it speaks to just how cared about these legends were absolutely you know, in our sport and stuff like that. And so. how much the NBA cares about them, too. Yeah, and how the NBA and the NBA puts them in positions where they can share their knowledge and and share their personalities and be who they are. Yeah, and the but yeah, going back to the inside the NBA stuff, regardless of whether or not you agree with what they're saying, or whether or not you agree, you think they should be more analytics based or whatever. There's no doubting that they know what they're talking about, and they there there's insight there. Whether or not you agree or disagree, there is insight to what they're saying, and if you completely disregard their knowledge and what their words are and their opinions yeah they're not going to know they're not going to know the salary cap and no Shaq probably watches like two hornets games a year or whatever watching 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 chuck play who he played for is never not going to be funny to me uh no no it's no um i'm kind of lukewarm on that honestly i think the first (laughs) time the first go around it was funny but it became an an anniversary type thing and then i'm just like this isn't this actually isn't good <laughs> it's, you know? well to me it's stuff where it's only good because they're using players that are like kind of switching teams every year and like it's yeah. kind of a meme of like how often they switch teams um and but also like, a meme to make fun of chuck <laughs> yeah but like it, it's players where it's like you ask the casual nba fan and you're like who does this guy play for? And you're like, I fucking, does he still play for this team? I don't fucking know. And it's like, you know, that to me, it, it humanizes them and it brings, it brings kind of, it brings the levity to it. I, I enjoy it quite a bit, but the, yeah, the it's, general... a, it's a referendum. It's a referendum every year on right. uh, NBA Twitter. It's like, Oh my God, he doesn't know. Uh, he doesn't know that Markeith Morris is still on the Lakers or whatever. And like, yeah, he's not, even using, he's not using Markeith Morris. He's using like a oh, lot I'm of just time. throwing out an example. It's like you know? fringe NBA players where it's like, yeah. dude, I guarantee you 90% of NBA Twitter did not know who that guy played for. Yeah, <laughs> they just look Googled him right now so they yeah. can have a take. <laughs> like, but um, yeah, no, Inside the NBA is one of, it's a Hall of Fame show. Like it, it is part of basketball lore. And you don't have to agree with everything they say, but that show's funny as hell to me. So that's the other thing too. You just got to go into it knowing what you're getting. And I've learned that as I, I've learned that as we've gotten older in our old age. uh, And again, and again, (laughs) even if you're just watching it for fun, there is some, you have to be able to take some nuggets of what they're saying. Yeah, absolutely. Like the mindset of a player, whatever. Mm -hmm. And like what they're looking for on the floor. And when he says, you know, I should be looking, he should be looking for this or doing this. And like, yeah, okay. I see your point. And I don't just like, you know, if you discredit what they're saying, then you have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, but uh, they could be wrong, like anyone else could be wrong and have bad takes. But again, in general, when they're talking about just pure basketball, there's no way you could tell them that they are that they're unqual- that they are unqualified okay. to talk about the game. It's like, no, that's not no, they're definitely there's a Hall of Famers across that table. <laughs> and uh Ernie Johnson. <laughs> who, who is uh, a Hall of Famer in his own right. Who was a he got referenced in the boondocks, you know, that 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 alone <laughs> puts Ernie people, in the Hall people, of Fame. People mi- misunderstand that Ernie Johnson in his own right is a, a award winning award-winning and hall of fame caliber yeah uh, he's been with turner for almost 30 years 
Yeah. Like so, Chuck Chuck came on in the early 2000s. I think Kenny the Jetsmith was the first to join. In the 90s, yeah. In the mid-90s. And then Chuck came on in the early 2000s. And I remember Shaq, even when I was like in senior year, early college, like he was lobbying <laughs> to be on Inside the NBA when he was in his last year. Basically mm-hmm. his twilight years. Remember he got remember he got basically sniped on the court when he was playing in Boston? Yeah. Like he was running up the court and just, <laughs> and just like just, oh. he's like, oh shit. <laughs> and like from then on, Shaq was like lobbying to be on Inside the NBA. He's like, I'm gonna take Kenny the Jet Smith's job and stuff like that. Like it it's cool seeing that evolution of that show, and um, I love I love that they they've been cycling in new new guys too. Like they've been cycling in D Wade, or they had Draymond Parker. on. When he was yeah, Candace Parker's great. Draymond Green is going to be fucking fantastic on TV. Absolutely, uh, when he retires, he is going he's to a, be. Awesome. He's a funny. He's a funny dude. He's smart. He's, a, he's, he's funny. Smart. Like he know he he seems to know the balance of you know what to say when it's his turn to talk on TV and stuff. He's mm-hmm. he's picked this like we all know with Draymond's IQ. He picks up stuff very quickly. So yeah, uh, and and you know he knows he knows when to banter and when not, and you know he's he's great. Um, oh, speaking of Draymond. We went a long time about inside the NBA, by the way. We I did. like it. I like it. I like it. because uh, it needs to be defended, but it does. What so it's been 10 games, and I know I said I'm waiting 10 to 15 games before I give uh, you know, a semi first assessment of the Warriors, but what are you feeling about the Warriors 10 games in now? Six and four, had some big wins over the Clippers, the struggling Raptors, who so... I'm still holding out hope will turn it around, but you know they've gotten some decent wins. Um, Wiggins so, is playing solid. What my thing with them is, I think Wiggins is playing above what his normal average is going to be. I think he's going to go back down to earth eventually. Mm. I think Kelly Oubre is going to balance out. I don't think Kelly Oubre is going to be this bad. Positive regression, right? Uh, I think I think he'll kind of level out as well. So I think those two things will cancel out. Mm. I think Draymond coming back gives them a certain level of stability. Uh, I still think they have no depth and they're very bad. Uh, I think Steph, Steph is playing at you know probably the best we've seen him in a few years carrying this load. Uh, I'm curious how long he's going to be able to do that for, given his, given his age and given you know the amount of wear and tear the course of a season like this is going to have. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so that's concerning, but I think like. Overall, I think they're middle of the road and I I don't they're not as bad as they were at the beginning of the season. I think they're starting to get comfortable. But I think it's all going to depend on whether or not Wiggins can keep this up and whether or not Wiseman is going to take another step because he's getting more and more comfortable. Uh yeah. you can kind of see that on the floor. The only thing again, my concern is is their depth and then defensively. I yeah. think that they're there's huge holes defensively. I think Wiseman and Draymond both being in there and Draymond kind of being able to pilot Wiseman a little bit uh, and, and guide him has been helpful. Right. But I think, I think their wing defend defense is pretty poor. I think that overall they're going to have a very up and down season. It's going to depend on whether or not their, their season rides on Steph's shoulders and whether or not he can, he can keep up this level of play uh, over the course of this season where he's going to have to play a lot of minutes. So I, so after about 10 games, um, I didn't think the Warriors were going to be as bad as they were out the gates. They were putrid. Um, but there have been 
a few things that have kind of stabilized the Warriors. One, like we talked last week, Draymond is back. And one side of the floor is kind of stabilized because you look at Draymond Green, when he's on the court, the Warriors have a 108 uh, defensive rating, which, you know, it's not it's not um, elite, but it would be an above that. It would be a top 15 uh, defense per cleaning the glass. When Draymond was off the court, the Warriors had a 113.7 defensive rating, I believe, which would have put them um, basically right around the Toronto-Detroit range, so 24th, 25th. And then um, 108, uh, the defensive rating of 108, would actually, it, now that it's finally loading, it would put them in the top 10 um, if you extrapolate, if you extrapolated if you extrapolated it out. So they've gotten a a stabilizing force on one end. And then the Warriors are starting to finally realize that, you know, Stephen Curry should have the ball in his hands a lot more and any off ball stuff in every game, (laughs) they should just give him the ball and any off ball stuff. It should only be Draymond operating the dribble handoffs and directing traffic. Um, and that's, that's it. And, uh, you know, um, Wiggins, He's played above his level, but I think he could – I'm not saying he'll keep up his defensive level, but like you said, Draymond's got those guys playing defense now. I swear there's – every game he's been in, he's yelled at Wiggins and Ubre at least one time, <laughs> um, and that might be putting it lightly. But the depth, like you mentioned, it does scare me because you never know what you're going to get out of Damian Lee. Um, Brad Watermaker, he is a okay backup point guard to Steph, but, I mean, not – He's not, you know, a world beater or anything. Um, Wiseman, he's still figuring it out. He's still a negative player. Um, if you just look at net yeah, rating, like negative wise. one, I think. Yeah, right? he's a, seven. yeah, he's a he, but he's a rookie. He'll figure it out. He'll get more minutes too. That's uh, I imagine his minutes count is not what you'd expect it to be because you know he had a really weird, didn't have a training camp, and his first NBA action was opening day, but. You know, I'm looking at the rest of the West, and, you know, we were mentioning earlier the snapshot picture of the league, and it's bunched up in the 4-10 to 10 range. So you got the Jazz and the Warriors right now are tied for fourth at 6-4. and four. The Mavericks, I'm still trying to wait and see if they could become well, a... Well, Kristaps comes back this week. When Krista yeah, that that'll be huge. Um, I'm still trying to see if the Ma- if Kristaps really helps the Mavericks defensively, rim protection wise, sure. But the Mavericks are still not wouldn't aren't considered, you know, an elite uh, defense. I I wonder if their you know their defensive rating right now. I wonder if I still wonder if it's going to hold up. Um, sure. And with Kristaps coming back, I'll be really interested to see that as well. Um, and then, and then you look at uh, the Blazers. The Blazers are just—they haven't really—they haven't lived up to expectations, and their def- and their def- defense has not been great either. They're twenty-fifth in defensive rating right now, um, and a lot of people thought including myself thought they had a really good off season i'm i'm just looking at six through i'm just looking at four through ten in the west and there is fatal flaws with every team the thunder are somehow five and four at the eighth seed which that's not gonna hold i don't think it's not it it might not hold but it does hold to my i hope it holds to my prediction that i think the thunder were a playing team even though a lot of 
people had the Thunder lottery hunting. Right. But I'm looking at this and I'm seeing if Steph is able to keep up this level of play and Draymond is able to stabilize the defensive end of the court, the one advantage the Warriors have above the other teams that are in this range, except for, say, maybe Denver, obviously, because they have a top 10 player. The Warriors have a top 10, a top five player. And the Warriors, depending on where you rank Draymond, anywhere from a 20 to 30 player, just because of his defensive impact and playmaking. And I'm looking at the other teams like the Jazz. You know, they have a bunch of good players. And, you know, they have Donovan Mitchell and Gobert, who are, you know, you know, above average. But I wouldn't have them in the tier 1.5 or tier no. 2 franchise players. Um, I think they're both tier 3-ish. Uh, the Blazers, they have Damian Lillard, but my point is the Warriors have advantages where they could take advantage of teams four through ten in the West. And I think if Steph Curry keeps the Warriors around a fourth or a fifth seed, uh, he'll be in the MVP discussion. And whether you agree with it or not, he'll be in the MVP discussion because this team was expected to be bad after the clay injury, maybe make the playoffs. But the Warriors are figuring some stuff out. There are stuff... There is stuff the Warriors are figuring out that I could see could last through the season, I guess is what I'm saying. Right. Speaking of, speaking, moving on a little quick, speaking of teams that are figuring it out, uh, this might be a hot take, but I'm still saying watch out for the Pelicans. They look really, really good for three and a half quarters. Every yeah, I, I know. <laughs> that Pacers game they choked away uh, last week was a masterclass. <laughs> I, they look so good, but they're doing the classic young team thing where they take their foot off the gas. Yep. And then I don't, I don't expect that to continue, especially when not with a veteran coach like Stan Van Gundy. That's kind of like a workhorse. I don't expect that to continue. But if they, if they put it together and they figure out how to close games, they're going to, they should be a lot higher than they are. They choked away at least. I've watched most of their games, but at least three of them that I've watched, they've choked away. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I I think they're a lot more dangerous than their record uh, insinuates here. Uh, Absol- absolutely. Um, so, and and there's... I honestly would trust them more than a lot of the teams ahead of them. Like I would trust them more than the Spurs and the, where the Jazz are and the Mavericks right now mm-hmm. in terms of just watching them play. So. They're off the Pelicans starting five, their offense, it's it's decent. It'd be in the 56th percentile um among offensive ratings for cleaning the glass. It's 114.5. Um, but their defense has been really their defense has been good in this lineup. Their offensive rebounding percentage is out of this world. And yeah. that is obviously expected with Zion and Steven Adams and Steven Adams in the uh middle there. Um and then their free throw rate is also really high. I thought, you know, this Pelicans team, they're still probably in the play-in range for me, but there is stuff that I like. I like Lonzo Ball just needs to keep shooting. I believe in that form. That form mm-hmm. looks good. He's confident with it. And the I thing think- is, when you watch him, he still hesitates a little. When he doesn't hesitate and just lets it fly, it's in most of the time. Yeah. And but uh, he's that little hitch where he looks for a pass first. And you're like, yep. no, dude, you're you're standing there with no one around you. Just please shoot this. And we and we talked about him before, but Brandon Ingram has been, you know, is taking another leap. They do need to. Do, I do think the Pelicans could probably 
diversify their crunch time offense a little bit because especially yeah. in that Pacers game, it was a lot of Brandon Ingram go one-on-one and make something happen. And, you know, he kept it up for up until six minutes left in the fourth quarter, and then that's when the unraveling started. Yeah. Um, the thing that I will like- say, too, is we and i don't i don't know if anyone's talking about it i haven't seen anyone really talking about it zion is learning to slow down like we were talking about earlier with julius randall he's not going 100 miles per hour every play he's picking his spots and you can really yeah. tell it's making a difference where he's being a lot more efficient a lot more effective and he's he's learning how to pl- how to play in the nba which is scary to think about considering how good he is already and there's going to be stan's going to figure out which lineup combinations work or not as the season goes on. Like JJ Redick is not going to shoot 30% from three. <laughs> I imagine much longer. Um, yeah. The Pelicans, they still have, you know, a, they still have a dearth of NBA talent on the roster. Um, it'll, it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, if the thunder, if the thunder kind of still take a step i still think the thunder are well coached and have you know they have a bunch of young players i like that's probably why i think more highly of the thunder more than probably most but maybe they, they maybe they make a player they, they could definitely take a step back the spurs could definitely take a step back but the pelicans just need to learn one how to close games how to get shooting more shooting on the floor around their closing lineups and you know they're they're definitely they're playing more structured. Um, Mike or Mike D'Antoni, Stan Van Gundy has the Pelicans playing in a more structured way as compared to Alvin Gentry when uh he was when he was uh the coach last year. So, it, I mean your Pelican your Pelicans take is still justified. I mean they're right in the playing range, so it's not. That's the thing with this with the whole playing thing is kind of out of yeah. I have them. I have but, them securely in the playoffs. Like kind yeah. of in the bottom half, but I think mm. looking at how teams are playing right now, I think they're playing a like a top end playoff basketball in the West in terms of what the other teams are playing at right now. It's just a matter of them closing out those last five minutes. <laughs> yeah, and then um, you look at the uh, you look at the uh, top of the West also. Um, I- I still want to mention that the Clippers still don't have a point guard, even though so yeah, I did. Uh, want, I did want to bring up the Clippers. They concern me a lot. <laughs> I don't know why they keep giving up these leads, and it happens they, every game. So in the well, I don't think it happened. Well, yeah, they they have they have it every game. They have not acquiesced they- to lead in most of the games, haven't they? Um, it happens every game, and then they end up coming like fight. They don't lose every game, but yeah. they have a huge lead that they eventually give up. In it's, some it way. goes back. It goes back to the point guard thing, right? Um, I think in the playoffs, it won't be as much of a problem because they're just gonna even if they have like a Rajon Rondo whatever type point guard, they're just gonna put the ball in Kawhi and Paul George's hands when it comes to nut cutting time in the playoffs. But they. I'm still looking for this team to get a point guard because, you know, it's not just, you know, setting up the table or whatever. There's just some situational awareness stuff right. where, like, if a team goes on a 6-0 run and it, they cut your 12-point lead to 6, you know, your point guard 
will usually be like, all right, let's slow it down. Let's make sure we get a good shot here. If we miss, we go back on defense, whatever. Like, there's just stuff like that that a point guard can typically feel throughout a game that not necessarily a Pat Bev or a Reggie Jackson or might. And while Paul George has taken a leap seemingly with his playmaking so far and Kawhi Leonard is still hovering around five assists per game, those are still not guys that I'm going to – the, the playmaking is still isn't their best strength. So I'm not going to have them try to control the tempo of a game, right. let alone, um, let alone, cause that's where, that's the main thing, right? Is the tempo and the feel of a game and the situational stuff is, I don't think they have that type of awareness consistently. Like if I put well, the that's ball, in- what happens, <clears throat> that's what kind of what happens at the end of games where they, so I came down to this conclusion. I watched a ton of, a ton of tape from I watched like I think 10 or 15 games from last year I was like trying to figure out what the difference is because they didn't obviously they gave up those leads against Denver in the playoffs but they weren't doing this in the regular season where they they would get leads and keep them and so I was trying to figure it out and it comes down to this for me where I think the loss of Montrose Harrell hurt them a lot more than I gave them credit for where I I like most people I saw getting Serge Ibaka as a huge upgrade especially defensively but the thing with Serge is Serge is still a kind of he's not an inside offensive player anymore. He is a spot up shooter now at yeah. his age. And now without Harold, you don't have that inside presence scoring wise. And even Paul George and Kawhi aren't these drive to the basket and get a bucket kind of guys. They are still in a lot of ways jump shooters. And so at least that's what their go to they're most comfortable with. That's their go that's their go to right. move. Yeah. And so when you look at the Clippers roster, they have no one in crunch time that can get you a bucket down low, which is where you really want it in crunch time, and to get a, in you know to work it inside and to get a get a good layup or dunk or or something like that, something easy. Where yeah. now you have in crunch time or in late game situations, or especially when you're trying to coast, you have situations where you're working really hard to get shots. Mm-hmm. And you can't consistently do that over the course of a game. <laughs> you yeah. need you need the opportunities where you're getting these easy buckets, and the Clippers don't really have anyone to do that. Because even though Montrezl Harrell, he wasn't a post up player necessarily. He rolled to the basket hard though, and he yeah. would just he would wreck havoc on the. Because when you look at when you look at their rotation guys, right? Kawhi, that's a jump shooter. Nicholas Batum is a spot up shooter. Uh, Serge Ibaka is a spot up shooter. The Nick uh, Batum Renaissance. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Paul George, spot up shooter. Pat Bev is, I don't know what Pat Bev is in offense. Uh, Marquise Mo- Mar- Marcus Morris is a spot up shooter. Lou Williams is just a scorer getting the ball in his hands. Uh, Luke Kennard is, is a, is a shooter. Evita Zubak is a post up player that is a pretty, is like average to below average post up player. Like the, when you look at everyone that is in their core rotation, you have no one that's there to get these easy baskets around the rim. Yeah. on a consistent basis and it's i think that's hurting them offensively because Kawhi could post up but it, and that's his shot but that's not it it i do think the Kawhi post up in the playoffs would work but again that's like their only source of easy offense um because and uh, you know that's, and, it's, and with the thing is when you just if you play a team like the lakers or even like the nuggets that have the size who do you have there to like help get you these easy baskets around the basket yeah um there's still that problem that beyond pg and Kawhi, the clippers still can't 
like I'm not going to trust Pat Bev. Lou Williams gets it. I think we need to figure out that by now that Lou Williams is just he gets erased from the playoffs every year. He so he because he's small, he's a terrible defender, and he has a you know in the playoffs and the game that, slows down. Yeah, and the in the playoffs that shot selection and the way the way he gets his shots off that's just it's not efficient. Um. So yeah, the Clippers still have the same problems. Although I do like the element of the pick and pop uh, with Ibaka. Um, that gives them a hell of a lot of spacing. And it's really interesting. Uh, there's some, I'm sure you've seen this, there's some film room stuff on the on the Clippers talking about how, you know, they've run some of their triangle sets and stuff like that. And it makes sense because Ty Lue was, you know, coached by Phil Jackson. But right. um, it's really cool to see because that offense, that actually, not that it's their main system. I think anybody who runs a triangle as their main system is it's out of date and archaic. But there are definitely sets and elements of the triangle teams still use. And uh, the, the triangle have... still. Carmelo brought this up too when he was talking about the Knicks. I forget what podcast he was on, but he was talking about the Knicks and he was saying that the triangle still works. It just yeah. doesn't work all the time. Yeah, exactly. But it works. It, it still it works. It still works. And like, I don't think Phil Jackson was wrong for thinking it works. It doesn't. The thing is, it's just Ed, not a system. At like this it, point, everyone knows the triangle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's and, so I think that, and so I think that's been good for the Clippers because it makes their reads easier and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, they still, like we talked about before the year, um, I think Ibaka addresses more of the Harold stuff more than you do. But I think we both agree that, you know, they didn't have they still didn't address the point guard thing, which is still, it's still a problem for me. And as it stands right now, I would still have the Lakers and the Suns ahead of the Clippers. I think the Suns are starting to, even though they're getting killed by the Wizards right now as we speak. But they're starting um, to emerge. But the Suns are still starting to figure stuff off on, figure stuff off, out on offense their defense is still good Mikel Bridges is awesome um I want to see honestly I'm fascinated with DeAndre Ayton um now like I've always been fascinated with DeAndre Ayton I loved him in Arizona but like the inverse now is starting to appear where we thought he was going to be a good offensive prospect and a not so good defensive player but now it's flipped and mm -hmm. he's become an offensive defensive prospect and while he's still trying to figure out his role on offense, there is still some stuff in his game that I don't like. And me and my friend, you know, um, he might he might as well just appear on the podcast with how much I mention him every week. But, you know, I was talking with my friend George. Um, he's a Suns fan. And um, we were talking about how, like, Aiton still, like, one, he drifts a little bit when he's on the offensive end. And I think, and I'm not trying to sound like Shaq or anything, but he settles for that fadeaway jumper way too much. Like he doesn't the do Anthony the Davis syndrome. He, he doesn't. Yeah. It's the Anthony. He doesn't do the sim. He doesn't. But the thing is like, he can't even catch clean lobs anymore. Like, I don't know what's going on with him. I'm sure he's still trying to figure stuff out, but like he'll catch it deep in the post. And instead of going up strong and turning it over and punching it, he'll try to lay it up softly and then it'll hit the back iron and bounce out. Like he does a lot of weird stuff on the offensive end of the floor. Now we're like last year, I was like, Oh, Okay, he upped to he upped his scoring to eighteen, and in it's in not only did he up his scoring, he kept his efficiency. He's learning some stuff. Like he has a nice soft jump hook. Like he's a skilled offensive player on that end of the floor. But now it's kind of reversed now, and I don't know what to make of it. <laughs> yeah, it it it's weird. I think there's a lot going on with them. I think as a team, 
where they're still all trying to figure out what their role is and what they're supposed to do. That's definitely Booker, some of it, yeah. Because Booker still hasn't officially kind of come out yet this season. He's still play, kind of underperforming. Uh, I think Aiden earlier in the season played a lot better offensively than he is now, and I think that comes with kind of the adjustment and what Chris Paul is telling him and him getting comfortable and learning. And I think yep. that's going to be solve itself over yep. time. Um, I think, I think the problem offensively is that when you play with a, a player like Chris Paul and especially, you know, being the big man with a point guard like Chris Paul, there's so much that he wants you to do and so much that he's reading on the floor. And especially for DeAndre Ayton being such a young player, there's a it lot, be a lot to process. Right, he's still trying to learn and process. And so him not being able to catch a lob, I personally put up to like, oh, he's overthinking. Yeah. Right. And he's saying, he's thinking to himself, he should roll here. Should I go up here? Oh, is this a lob? Okay, great. And then let, you know, let me go up. And so everything's just like a half a second late. And I think as the season goes on, it'll get a lot more comfortable. Yeah, I know. Um, I say that I say that the Suns are figuring it out and you're watching the games and you still can tell they're still trying to figure it out, but they have a they have the fifth best offensive rating per cleaning the glass with 114.7 mm-hmm. points per 100. And I still have a feel like I still don't feel like they haven't completely figured it out yet. I mean, like you said, Book is Book scoring assist and rebounding's down a little bit. Um Aiton has def he's only averaging 13 points per game. Um, still keeping out his re- up his rebounding. The thing I love about Aiton, though, is his mindset. He was basically saying, like, so far, I think he said it last week. He was saying, like, look, if we don't need to, we don't need me to score for us to win, which has been true for the most part this year. He's like, I'm just focusing on the defensive end of the floor, and I love that mindset from him. Absolutely, um, and he's doing a he's, great job, too. and he's doing a great job. He's backing up the talk too, because the Suns also have, um the sixth best uh, defensive rating because they have a seven, a mobile seven foot guy that could switch on the perimeter. They have all the wings. We talked about all the guards. We talked about on top of one of the best point guards of all time. And um, I've really liked this late career Renaissance from Chris Paul, because it is kind of one it's, I think he's reputation is kind of boosted in a lot of people's eyes, but I think he's reminded a lot of people that he's one of the greatest players of all time. Like, with a bullet like full stop absolutely because with the thunder everybody thought his career was done like this was it this is the old jason kid years he's on he has that big contract nobody's gonna want to pick him up chris paul goes vegan and all of a sudden the thunder are in the playoffs right and then and then uh this year like and then going into this year we were like oh the sun's traded for chris paul and then people like you have them boldly in the Western Conference before the season started. So, like, the 180 flip we have done on Chris Paul has been just awesome to see. So Absolutely. I think the years with Harden and having to share the ball with Harden with how that rocket system was run, I think, hurt him a ton. I think uh, it was weird before that trade happened to Houston that there was a lot of, can Chris Paul and James Harden play together? I don't know if you felt that way, but like I was like guys that could dribble pass and shoot. Yeah. I didn't think fit together. I like, didn't think they were they weren't gonna fit together. My thing was always like are they gonna maximize their potential together? Which is a different question, right? Um mm-hmm. and I I don't think they brought the best out in each other. But I I I don't think that there's a question that players with their skill set and their their talent level can play together. I don't think that's a problem. I think it's a matter of are you the using way the rockets the way the Rockets played, it definitely felt like it was a, uh, it was like the, 
the most maximum version of your turn, my turn. Yeah, I mean, it felt it felt like this is a deep cut too. It felt like the Carmelo AI Nuggets. Oh my god! I hey, <laughs> I have a soft spot for those teams. So, so do I. I love those teams. <laughs> I have a soft spot for those. But teams. like when you have when you have those teams with Jr. and and Kenyon Martin and Marcus Camby, the that's oh a lot god. of like, okay. Uh, Ed, Eduardo Nahara. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Nene, I think Nene was still on those Nene, teams, yeah, right? Nene, Nene, young Nene was on that team, too. Uh, <laughs> Anthony Carter. <laughs> I don't think you can split the ball into that many pieces. That's a lot of ball to go around. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, you know, to me, it comes. It came down to a thing of, I didn't think that they maximized their, I don't think they brought the best to each other. I don't think they made each other better, but I think, you know, they obviously had success together and they played really well. Um yeah, but yeah, I think I think that hurt Chris Paul just in a way of like, you know, oh he's not handing the ball as much or like oh he's not doing as well. Well, yeah, because you know he's splitting, he's pretty much splitting ball handling time with with another guy that that makes him look that's that has a historic usage rate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, I think by comparison, just standing next to someone that's you that has a usage rate that's high and is winning MVPs, I think that you know that kind of lowers your value, right? Yeah. But Chris Paul has kind of turned himself into like a mini Dollar Tree version of what LeBron has done with his body, like as he yeah. ages. Like, and it's 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 cool. He was on a JJ Reddick podcast and he was talking about it. He was like, "Look, LeBron figured it out, and then once I figured it out, it it clicked. I got it." And I was mm-hmm. like, "Oh, okay." Like, because you we always hear about how the great players they still figure out ways to still right. be effective as they get older, but it's tougher to do for point guards, especially small point guards. But yeah. Chris Paul has seemed to, he's figured it out. So shout out well, Chris most, Paul. Most small point guards are, I think we talked about the last week, most small point guards are predicated on their athleticism and their quickness. Mm-hmm. And so Chris Paul was never that player. Chris Paul was always based around like his skill and his intelligence and his his kind of savvy and his, yeah. his, his feel, right? Mm-hmm. And so he never really leaned into his athleticism obviously he did when he was younger he was more athletic and he was quicker but and he was impossible yeah, to guard. He yacked on dwight howard <laughs> yeah but but he never leaned into it right it was never like yeah. the core part of his he was never he was never ai or Derek, where he just went a hundred with his yeah. athleticism all the time and now he wasn't uh, like a top tier athlete no and, either. and that's some something to the note i think did you watch there's another jj writer podcast with jj Berea recently where he was talking oh, about i haven't Luca. watched that one yet so he was talking about Luca, and he said the scary part about Luca is that Luca hasn't figured it out yet. Where Luca still thinks that he can like eat whatever he wants and like you know, yeah, eat we definitely see it this year. <laughs> eat hamburgers and and you know, not work out till you know. Not that he's not trying, right? Like I yeah. think people misunderstand. Like it's not like he's not trying, but there's a different level. There's a different of, like, level of care of your body level, and understanding, right? And understanding what it takes to like be that next level. And so once he does. JJ thinks that once he does, like he's gonna be insane. Oh yeah, and, absolutely, you know, absolutely right. Because remember, he's only twenty four. Luca, oh, no, no he, he's, he's twenty. He's twenty one. He's twenty one. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's super young. He could just be able. He's just now able to buy a beer. Yeah, insane. I know. Uh, I know. I know. You have a hard out, so let's yeah. We'll, we'll end it there and wrap up. But uh, yeah. And any games you're looking forward to this weekend? Looking at looking at the schedule. Anything you're so, looking at? Going... Um, there. Well. It, it'll depend on, you know, if, uh, <laughs> right. COVID is affecting every team. But, uh, you know, I'm looking forward again to the Lakers Rockets. It was funny seeing the Markeith Morris uh, boogie thing last night. That was like when worlds collide, like two just yeah. 
burly tough dudes and you know Marquise tried to push demarcus and he didn't move at all he couldn't move him like demarcus yeah. is i love i have a soft spot for demarcus cousins as so everybody does here in sacramento um but that i that was funny but i'm looking forward to that game i, I want to at the end like what that i uh, said so the lakers rockets game got really chippy like in the yeah. middle of it there's a lot of text in that game <laughs> Yeah, um, I, I'm kind of uh, well, I'm not worried about the Rockets, but it's kind of what I'm what we've thought would happen is kind of seemingly happening, happening so far as far as team wise. But yeah. um, Mavericks Hornets on Wednesday, um, got to see our boy Lamella Ball. I think it's about high time Devonte Graham went to the bench. You could still develop Devonte Graham if you're really worried about him, but Lamella's the future, so I think you should and start. It's, it's very clear to see that he the team plays so much better with him on the the, when he's on the court like yeah it, it, it's just so much clear and also terry rogier shout out to him because i thought that contract was awful but he has been balling since last year with the hornets even though they haven't won he is he himself has put up really good numbers on good efficiency too so it's not like it's empty calorie um i'm gonna jack up a bunch of shots because i i'm not with Kyrie in boston or jason tatum anymore he's been and that and i think with lamello starting next to terry like that's a that's fun like whenever it's they've been on the court, court together whenever they've been on the court together this year when i've watched hornet games they've been awesome and uh they're shellacking the new york knicks right now as we were talking so glowingly about them earlier but <laughs> those are a few games i'm looking forward to yeah, I'm right with you with those. Those are those are good things. All right. So thanks y'all for listening and watching and uh we'll see you guys next week. The BOB.